The U.S. housing market, or at least portions of it, is rebounding. We're here to talk through those mixed signals. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everyone. It's the week of July 10th, 2023. And after a truly enlightening conversation about commercial real estate just a couple of weeks back, today we're here to talk about the consumer side of real estate, which is housing, and specifically U.S. housing. Not only is this a sector that gets a lot of attention and really impacts financial decisions, but it also has a lot of signaling power about where we are in the economic cycle. Here today to talk to me about the housing cycle in the U.S. is our very own Julia Herman. I'm jazzed to talk through this very important and popular subject today, and it's also one that we follow closely, especially because understanding the housing market requires a look under the hood right now due to those mixed signals that you mentioned, Lauren. There's not necessarily explicitly you know, contradictory things happening in this market, but it does require us to look at a wider range of data points rather than at just one source to get the full picture. All right, then without further ado, let's start putting those pieces together. Now, when I mentioned at the top of the episode that housing has been rebounding, what's the response we'd expect to hear? I would expect people to say, really? Why? How? And those questions are well-founded. The Fed has hiked interest rates severely and rapidly, and in doing so, its goal was to slow economic activity to bring down inflation. And that includes housing and rent prices. A 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is at 7.2% right now per bankrate.com. This is quite high versus the past decade, and it's the highest since 2000. The standard reasoning is that this higher financing cost would presumably reduce demand for homes, cause home prices to come down to meet that reduced demand, eventually making things more affordable. Yes, but the operative word is eventually. Right now, that affordability just is not there, in large part because mortgage rates have spiked in the way you just described. So housing isn't affordable, and yet we're talking here today about how home sales are improving. How is that the case if affordability is only getting worse? In this cycle, what's really thrown off housing market dynamics is a major lack of home supply. There's a housing shortage of about 1.75 million, that's million with an M, homes. So even if the lack of affordability is reducing demand, it's hard for demand to follow enough to meet this limited supply. And that helps to explain why some of the data are pointing to a sharp rebound in both current and future sales indexes. Granted, both of these indexes that we're looking at are sentiment-based in that they measure how positive or negative home builders feel about sales and prospective buyer traffic. But of course, there's real data to back up that sentiment. And that gets us to the heart of today's conversation. Some economic indicators point to a housing rebound, but is that possible or durable when, one, affordability just isn't there, regardless of supply, and Two, when monetary policy is clearly working with the intent to slow the economy. And here's where we need to look under the hood of three data points that can help us clarify what's going on with housing and what it means for the economy. The first place that we're keeping a close eye on is the context of the economic cycle. Our research suggests that since housing is interest rate sensitive, 
That means that mortgage rates usually play an important factor in demand. Housing has tended to be first in and first out of historical recessions. Housing has typically slowed down before the other portions of the economy, and it has historically recovered sooner. So we should consider that a rebound in housing right now might just mean the start of a new economic recovery. But my take would be that it's a little too early. Given that we've hardly seen any cracks in consumer behavior, I think it's too early to call this cycle complete and to say that a new one is starting with a housing upswing. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I'm really glad that you tied this to the consumer situation because that really relates to the other two key data points that we're looking at. Data point number two goes back to that affordability question. Is housing really unaffordable? Because obviously there is someone still buying. And who is doing that buying and that selling right now with a mortgage rate for 30 years at 7.2%? And we can answer this question by looking at sales of newly built homes versus existing homes. We can see that newly built homes are actually nearly entirely responsible for any upswing in sales that we've been seeing. And that relates back to affordability. Not because newer homes are necessarily cheaper than existing homes, but that the supply is more readily available. And then that ties back to mortgage rates. This data suggests to us that existing homeowners are not inclined to sell their homes to buy new ones because they would be trading in a cheaper mortgage rate for a more expensive one. Yes, and that shows us that mortgage rates are not considered attractive at these levels, and it is having the intended effect of slowing activity in reselling those existing homes, just as this higher interest rate policy would intend. But the ongoing sales and the ongoing demand for newly constructed homes, I suppose we can just chalk that up to the housing shortage that you mentioned? Even though homes are expensive, demand is still there. Yeah, I'd probably say so. I mean, I can just share some purely anecdotal evidence as someone who is probably on the cusp of considering buying a home. As renters, we have felt housing costs skyrocket, not just in New York, but countrywide. And there's a double-edged sword there for renters right now. Higher rents have eroded renters' ability to save for that down payment to buy a home. But at the same time, there's not much disincentive to try to buy a house right now. Houses are expensive, but so is renting. It's true, and it gets to the point that buying a home is a very personal decision of which affordability is a very important factor, but not the sole factor. That's very true. Affordability tends to be a key factor, of course, in home buying decisions, but so are location, the space you need, and whether there's a special nook for your puppy. Yet again, demand can still be resilient even when affordability is absent. It's fascinating how the divergence in sales of new compared to existing homes can help us to unpack so much of what's going on. And a lot of this, again, goes back to a strange post-pandemic environment where a lot of people moved around and the system is still working through some of those kinks. So you mentioned, Julia, three data points that we're looking at. What's the third data point that we're watching? And how does it relate to the housing shortage that seems to be throwing all these housing sector dynamics off? Well, it directly relates to that housing shortage. We're also looking at the number of homes under construction in the U.S., which has tended to track pretty closely to the number of completed homes over time. You build a home and you complete it, it becomes part of supply. What we're watching is how construction activity has actually jumped by several hundred thousand homes under construction. This has not yet, though, resulted in an increase in home supply. It does point to, though, how home builders are trying their best to meet this backlog, this demand imbalance that we've talked about. 
I don't know if anyone listening tried to buy an appliance or maybe some lumber during COVID to do some sort of home renovation, but it has not been easy to meet construction demand for the past several years. Right. So I would not necessarily interpret the increase in housing construction as a fix-all by any means, but instead as a suggestion that there is this backlog and accordingly activity and even demand in housing might be relatively more resilient this cycle than in past historical cycles. Home builders would not be building, probably, if they did not have a good reason to be confident about future sales potential. And this is reflected in those rebounding sales surveys that we mentioned at the top of the episode. So let me connect all of the dots here. Housing sentiment and sales are, in some portions of the housing market, rebounding. And though we don't feel confident that this is a new sustained upswing to bring the housing cycle because we do see recession pressures mounting elsewhere, we remain confident in our view that from many months ago, this is not the 2007 housing crisis revisited. A big part of that is that the supply shortage, which has been helping activity and even employment in the housing sector, and suggests that housing can be more resilient this time around than in past recessions. And while that's a good thing for existing homeowners, it may suggest that home purchases remain relatively expensive in this cycle, even as economic activity has started to slow. That brings us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And here we want to translate the personal nature of the financial decision to buy a house and our economic view that we have on the housing market into an investment view. As for investors, we focus on the broader real estate picture, which includes some residential housing through multifamily buildings, for example, as well as many other sectors like industrial or office space. We covered these segments on the program two weeks ago with a special guest. For those looking for more detail, definitely check out that episode. For today, though, we want to spend a moment on the various avenues investors can consider within real estate. The first one I would think about would be listed equity. Here, though, a lot of the optimism about home builders, even construction materials, has already been captured by investors, and we've seen meaningful outperformance in these sectors of listed equity, even on a year-to-date and 12-month basis. So potentially, it's not the best entry point when it comes to the real estate and listed equity nexus right now. Although we can say, of course, that for investors that are considering a very long-term investment strategy, timing the market is always challenging. Just a little asterisk, something to consider. Another investable option, though, is commercial real estate. And yes, there's been some or perhaps much concern about office space specifically, and particularly in light of the select bank fragility that we saw in March. But as with every investment, attention to the composition of a product or index can help investors to make sure that an investment is in line with their risk tolerance. Real estate can also be considered as a way to participate not just in this cycle's trends, but also in broader trends, whether that's the AI boom, digital transformation, tech, or energy investment. And so real estate investments that support or go along with these transitions, such as next generation industrial centers and data centers, or real estate that is very conscious of technological savviness, environmental savviness, they could see more sustained support. Coming up next, June inflation's numbers are going to be released on Wednesday for the U.S. Investors continue to wonder if and how much interest rates will need to rise further to fight price growth. And we'll get some answers this week. 
That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at any time at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. We'll see you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamats and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Several data points for this podcast were sourced from indexes provided by the NAHB or the National Association of Home Builders. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which may vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.